Um, yeah, but we are in our series, Kinetic Righteousness. Ryan did kind of a hybrid Sabbath return, um, move into Kinetic Righteousness uh, message last week, and I'm going full on um, Kinetic Righteousness. And hopefully by the end of this series of about eight weeks, make perfect sense. Um, and we're going to be in Isaiah chapter one, if you want to go there. It's in the Old Testament. Um, and uh, hopefully you have a Bible or an app or something that has both old and new. They're both good. We love both of them. Um, Jesus used the Old Testament, so we, we try to use it too. And uh, the New Testament is awesome. It's so good we have all these lenses to interpret these things correctly for our time. But um, Isaiah chapter one, where we're gonna be, it's kind of right in the middle of the Bible in case you have trouble finding it in, uh, in one of those things that has pages and a cover that they used to use. <laughs> Sometimes we still do. Um, but yeah, kinetic righteousness, the concept there is uh, we want to mobilize. We want to see um, the righteousness that God produces in our lives not stay within our lives, but actually flow out. And uh, Living Streams is a church that we are really committed to knowing Jesus. We, we are really committed to making sure if someone's going to track with us, if someone's going to invest their time and their life with us for a season of time, we want so badly for them to know Jesus more because of their time here. That, that's all that matters. The whole reason we have a beat in our heart and, a, and breath in our lungs is so we can know Jesus. I have friends who think ball is life, but they're wrong. The rest is not just details. But knowing Jesus, that really is the whole thing. Jesus actually, when he taught about, about you know, everlasting life, the kind of life that death can't even touch, he said, what that is, is really just knowing God. And so that's the chief end of all humanity. The whole goal, the whole measure upon which all of our lives will be measured in the cosmos and all of the universal kind of things is, do we know Jesus? And to what depth do we know Jesus? And the more you know Jesus, the freer, the healthier, the more stable, the more steady, and the more of a blessing you can be to those around you. So knowing Jesus and everything, and we really believe if you track with us here, you dive in and take this seriously, invest time here, you will know Jesus more. Um, it's happened to a lot of us, and so we're pretty confident that it can happen to you too. The second thing is you will really get to know community. We are a church that is committed to make sure we don't just get good at one hour a week Sunday morning. That is not the goal. God does not want to make you good at church. He's not that interested in that. He wants to make you good at life and justice and righteousness. He wants to make you good at what happens outside of this place. Going back to football, a lot of times people think this is like the end game. If I can get good at church, then God will love me. If I good at religious stuff, God will love me. If I get to pre preach on that platform, then maybe God will really love me. Nope. This right here, what we're doing, this is just the huddle. This is just that brief little check-in we do where we get a little bit of the plan from the coach. We get a little bit of idea of what the enemy or what the defense is doing against us. We all get to figure out our positions a little bit more. And then we go from this place and we run the play. And the play is love. And the play is sowing peace. And the play is kindness and justice. So we got to remember, the church is, I mean, it's just not a Sunday thing. And if you really invest your lives, you get into a life group, you, you connect with a mentor, we got a whole mentorship program, you jump into some of the events that we're doing, you will find yourself actually in community, the real community, the good stuff, some of the stuff that lasts forever. The way we describe community here is raw authenticity, 
relentless encouragement, and biblical counsel, which hopefully leads to lifelong, genuine friendship. That's what we're after. That's the stuff that makes life work. That's where the pay dirt for your spiritual formation will be found, is in those communities, way more than this, even though I think this is valid and appropriate. But we gotta invest our lives in that way. And the last thing that I'm so excited about, if you track with Living Streams for a season, you will get to know Jesus better. Oh, I love it. I get to know Jesus better from hanging out with all these guys. It's cool. You will also really get to taste genuine community. And then you will also be a part of something where we really do get to see Jesus take ground in our city. We get to engage in society's pain and see some of that pain healed as we track in this place. And one of the things we're doing specifically in that regard is we're launching kinetic nights. Now, again, we get a little bit too excited about the word kinetic. You can make fun of us. That's fine. But Kinetic Righteousness is the sermon series for eight weeks, but we have these Kinetic Nights, September 22nd, September 29th, and not October 4th. That's what I said, first service. It's October 6th. It's Wednesday nights, September 22nd, September 29th, October 4th, 4th, October 6th. (laughs) No one's going to show. Everyone's going to be there on the wrong night, and I'll be like, oh. Um, Those three Wednesday nights, we are asking everyone, who can hear my voice online and in person to come to those three Wednesday nights. What? What kind of church is You can't tell me what to do. I'm not telling you what to do. If I could, I would tell you to come to those nights. But I know I can't. I'm just asking. I'm pleading. I'm begging. Because what can happen in those three nights as we join our hearts and lives together is we can really become a little bit more powerful in what we can accomplish in this next season of our lives together. So we really, I mean, I'm pleading with you. I'm going to do it again next week. So just prepare yourself for that. But those three Wednesdays, please join us. We're going to have at 6 o'clock, we're going to have food. And we're going to have tables all in the gym. And there's going to be sitting around tables, people you don't know, people older than you, younger than you, people with different stories, different backgrounds than you. And it's going to be awesome as we come together and we fight through the nerves and the awkwardness, because it will be awkward, because church people can be so awkward sometimes. We're going to fight through all of that, and we're going to get to know each other. We're going to eat together. We're going to sit at table together, which is something Jesus loved to do, and to bring people together around food. So we're going to do that, and then we're going to have, and I have this story I can't wait to tell. I was tempted to tell it today, but I'm saving it for September 22nd. This story I want to tell, the, just this moment in my life when all this stuff just happened, and, and I really felt like I experienced kinetic righteousness for the first time. And we're just going to kind of sit in that space together. The next couple of nights, again, we're going to eat together. We're going to get to know each other. We're also going to get to learn about all of the different ministries in our city and a lot of the work that they're doing and a lot of the ways that we can participate with them. We're going to kind of build everything and get everything smooth so that it's going to be as easy as possible for you to really get involved in this and see your righteousness become kinetic, um, not only for this next season, but for the rest of your life. So please come to those three kinetic nights, free food, free everything, um, Yeah, you like the free fruit, huh, Fernando? (laughs) For sure, for sure. All right, so that's my spiel on that. Let's read Isaiah chapter one. Here we go. We'll start in verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instructions of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Now, just in case you don't know, this is Isaiah prophesying a long time ago, and he's actually not speaking to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah, what happened to them? Gone. But he's calling the Israelites Sodom and Gomorrah because it stings a bit, because he's upset. He's not feeling it. 
So you say, where are we? Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instructions of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord. I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened, fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who asks this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing in meaningless offerings. It's possible for us to bring meaningless offerings to the Lord. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. He's coming at them. He's telling us how it feels. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Because your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong and learn to do righteousness. Tzedakah. Learn to do righteousness. Do righteousness. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. Here Isaiah is starting off his book in a real light-hearted note. He's coming at the people real gentle and kind. And No, he's giving them a vision. He saw a vision. He's a prophet. He was actually a prophet in a day and age where, you know, it, things were pretty good in Israel. There were some warring nations and rumors when he first kind of came onto the scene, but those things didn't really materialize until another 10 years or so. And so it was relative peace in Israel. There wasn't a lot of infighting. Sometimes Judah, the southern two tribes and the 10 tribes of the north Israel, they would fight each other, God's people fighting each other. And that was just horrific and sad, but that wasn't really happening at this time. Sometimes there was a conquest going on where God's people were going out and, and, and actually like conquering other territories or defending themselves. That wasn't really going on when he was getting this vision. It was actually a pretty good time in Israel especially in comparison to other times. And Isaiah actually himself, all we really know about him, it seems like he kind of was in with the upper crust of society, maybe a scribe, but he had access to a lot of different kind of political people and, and was received differently than some of the other prophets, some of those farmer prophets or, you know, whatever. And in this place, he's speaking to these people and he said, I had this vision from God that I needed to share with you. And the vision that I saw of God has a lot to do with righteousness. And this sermon today is called Visions of Righteousness because I'm gonna give us visions of righteousness and they might be a little shocking, might be a little different than what comes to mind when you normally think of righteousness. But this is the first image that Isaiah gives us and actually Amos, um, who is also a prophet, I wanna read his because it's just so similar. In Amos chapter five, 21 through 24, God says through Amos to his people, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies, the church services are a stench to me. Even though you bring 
me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though, though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. So I, I want us to catch in this first vision of righteousness that what I, Isaiah and Amos are trying to help the people of God see is that when God thinks about righteousness, he doesn't necessarily think about what you are as much as what you do. It is true in the Bible that God wants us to be righteous. He doesn't want us to do wrong because wrong hurts. It brings death. So we are to be righteous. And by God's grace, Jesus Christ knew we couldn't do it on our own. So he came and showed us how with his life's example. He died on a cross to cleanse all of our unrighteousness, past, present, and future, and he gave us his spirit to now guide us into what is truly righteous. So if you don't know Jesus, you don't know righteousness. There's just no way you can have it, find it, or anything. Because he's the source. But he loves you so much. And he is not put off he doesn't feel like he needs to turn away from your unrighteousness. He knows just what to do with your unrighteousness if you'll give it to him. He'll make you righteous. That's the most fascinating thing that's happened to some of us. And we don't always get it right now, but it's so nice to be washed in his blood, to be cleansed, and to know we come before the Father, the maker of our souls, as clean and so first of all, we have to understand that when God sees righteousness, he's looking at what comes out of our lives, not just what comes into our lives. He's looking at what goes out of our churches, not just what we do in church. Even to the extent where he's saying, I'm so sick of your church services. You're always singing these songs, la, 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 I hate them. Because when I look down, I see your hands are full of blood. We gotta figure out what's causing our hands to be bloody. Because again, like I mentioned in Isaiah, th this wasn't a time where there was killing going on in Israel, although there were times where that happened. This wasn't one of those times. But yet, when God looked at them, his hand, their hands were filled with blood, and, and it tells us why. What God equates bloodshed to is not caring for the oppressed, not caring for the fatherless, and not caring for the widow. In God's economy, that is the same as bloodshed. When we neglect those things, it's as if we're committing murder in God's eyes. And it's funny because we're downstairs, we're singing day and night, night and day, let incense rise. We're singing song, and it's a great song, all these things, but I've just, in my mind, it's like, God hates our incense. God does not want us to sing these songs all the time. And it's not true. I, I'm, I'm not, this is not a message against church services. It is against second service church service attendance. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. It's not, it's not, it's not. This is not a message against songs. I, the songs, we sing songs because they're so important for our own like, you know, maturing in the Lord. They're so important for our, our, our like ministering to the Lord. They're so important for our theology. They're so important for us to, to kind of be built up in the Lord and to unite with others and bring in glory to his name. Absolutely, no doubt about it. But are we doing it with blood on our hands? Are we making that the sum total of our relationship with God? 
Whenever we want to connect with the Lord, whenever we want to do something for the Lord, we go to, you know, the phone and turn on a little worship music and be like, here you go, Lord. And again, nothing wrong with that unless that's all you got. And that's what these people, and it's true in Jesus' day, they had become all about trying to get themselves clean, get themselves clean. The Pharisees, all they were trying to do was get themselves clean. And Jesus had words with them because they were doing nothing to help make other people clean. And that's where the righteousness of God really shows up. Second vision that Isaiah gives us. Isaiah chapter five, it talks about God coming into this vineyard or this garden and he's looking for justice, but all he could find was bloodshed. And I just, I picture sometimes the Lord coming down to Phoenix or kind of surveying living streams or surveying my own family, my own life, and he's looking for justice. He's looking to see some kinetic righteousness because he loves it. He longs to see it. And what does he find? Because it is true that if we are not doing it, we are not doing it. Inactivity is just the same in a lot of times than doing injustice when we come face to face with those things. So that's another picture, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter nine, he gives us another picture, I love this picture. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of God's throne. This is good news. This is really good news. Basically, this is like Jesus' whole campaign. Vote for me because I know how and will do what's righteous every time, and I know how and I will accomplish justice in everything I do. So vote for me. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that would be awesome if we could vote for somebody like that. But, but, but the foundations of the thrones created by man are not like that. But God's authority, God's power is all built by his ability to do righteousness and justice. That's what he decided his whole kingdom would be about. And then Isaiah 42, it says, he will bring forth justice. And, what it, and in that whole thing, he's talking about this, this, this servant, and more specifically, the suffering servant. And, and, and some, you know, obviously this relates to Israel and how Israel was to be a blessing. God was blessing them to be a blessing. Um, all of the blessing they received was supposed to flow out of them, not be only consumed by them. But God also was saying that somehow I'm going, to, I'm going to cause you to go through suffering so that other people can receive a blessing. And, and we know obviously that applies you know, prophetically to Jesus Christ who through his suffering, you know, he's brought a blessing. He's brought about justice. But it's something that we need to, again, this is not great for church growth. I understand that, but here you go anyways. If we're gonna go into kinetic righteousness if we're, gonna, if we're gonna catch the vision of righteousness that God has for us and we're gonna live into this, I have to tell you, it's gonna cause you to suffer. It's real hard to look in the scriptures and not see that for us to accomplish the righteousness that God desires or the justice God desires, it, it's that we're gonna come out, you know, without any suffering. And ultimately, the best way to exemplify that is to look at Jesus. I mean, he was perfect. He suffered greatly to accomplish what God asked him to do. 
And so, again, we're going in to kinetic righteousness. You could probably check another church out for eight weeks or something. If you're like, good, no, not cool with the suffering part. I understand, I totally understand. But I also just wanna give you a heads up because we're going in and, and, uh, and even trying to get to the point where like the apostles, remember where they rejoiced for they were worthy to suffer for his name? Like I want that to be our hearts. I wanna get to that place. I don't know how, but the Spirit's gonna guide us. So, um, Isaiah 53, another vision of the righteousness of God from Isaiah, inspired by God. My righteous servant will justify many, and this is fascinating. Obviously, he's prophesying about Jesus, but Jesus didn't come for another thousand years. So this message has bearing on the people he's speaking to and also has bearing on our lives. That through Jesus, many were justified. Jesus' righteousness actually covered a multitude of sins. His righteousness actually helped make a lot of wrong right. And, and we have been called, through Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God, you. In Christ Jesus, you are the righteousness of God. You're not the righteousness of Ian, because that's pitiful. You're not the righteousness of David, that's pitiful. It's not gonna do any good for anybody. But you, in Christ Jesus, have become the righteousness of God. And so now your righteousness, through Christ Jesus, has the power to actually right wrongs in society. There's this crazy little verse, I don't understand it fully, but it hints towards this in some way when it talks about the unbelieving spouse being sanctified by the believing spouse. What? I don't know, but if I talk like this. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't fully understand this, but somehow the righteousness that we practice, that we do, can actually right wrongs in the world. You who are so evil and wicked and frail and weak, God wants to use your life to actually justify others to bring others to a place where they are in right relationship with God, right relationship with each other, right relationship with their kids, if you're fostering them. You can bring righteousness through your righteousness. It's fascinating. Again, so fascinating because we're so prone to wander. Isaiah 58, another vision. Loosening the chains of injustice. Picture chains, picture somebody in chains, picture every decision you make in your life every single day is either tightening those chains or loosening those chains. It's heavy. Picture your loved ones in those chains. The decisions you make are either binding them up or freeing them up. This is heavy when you think about marriage. My wife, my decisions, they either are setting her free or chaining her up. I've done a little bit of both. But, but we can make decisions, we can do things that actually bring freedom. Think about your kids walking after you. You can set them free. You can carve a path in front of them where they're not gonna have to fight the same battles you fight if you can get the victory. 
you can actually loosen the chains of injustice for the people right here connected to you. Uh, Last picture, Isaiah 61. For I, the Lord, love justice. Isaiah wants us to know, God wants us to know through Isaiah that he loves justice. He's so into it. Think of the most social justice warrior you ever know, you've ever met. God's like way more. (laughs) Now, not in the same way necessarily as some of those social justice warriors. And it is. We live in a very weird world where all of a sudden now, you know, we have a whole new priesthood, a whole new religion, and it's based basically on the commandments of do you wear a mask or have a vaccine or not? Because that's number one commandment. Number two commandment is did you vote for this person or vote for that person? That's, you know, your new Ten Commandments. The next one is, do you, you know, subscribe to Black Lives Matter organization or not? You know, that's the, the third commandment. And the fourth commandment is like, you know, I don't know. I could keep going, but you get what I'm saying. And, and it is, it's interesting how, you know, our society's gotten into the justice game. Like our, our society is now using religious language. They're using, um, you know, religious words. They're lo- using religious structure to kind of say what righteousness is or what Righteousness is not what justice is, what justice is. This is the Lord's game, my friends. The only reason anybody wants to do justice is because God loves it and wrote it into our hearts. And so we as a church, we decided at the beginning of this year, we are so tired of hearing the world tell us what's righteousness, what's justice, and what's not. Not that, not that that's a bad thing. We're fine listening to all their voices, but we so badly wanted to hear what God says about righteousness and justice. And so we fasted for three weeks at the beginning of, of, Jan- of 2021. And we just fasted for, for a hunger. We just wanted a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And then after that, we jumped in the book of First and Second Kings. Woo, and we went through some consecration. We figured out what the idolatry, uh, idolatry of those days were and kind of measured that against our own. And we found a lot of idolatry in our world, in our church, in our lives. And we got consecrated. And then we decided we were just gonna spend the whole next chunk, I think it was like four and a half months, we just sat at the feet of Jesus listening to the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus interpreted the law and the prophets for the people in his day and helping them understand in the economy of heaven what counts as righteousness. Not in the economy of earth. Nobody cares about that. I mean, people care about that, but nobody should care about that. What we want to know is what is righteous in the economy of heaven, and it was shocking, yeah? It was upside down, inside out, and it looked a lot like low and (laughs) cross-like. looked a lot like humility and love and patience and sacrifice. But it was so good to sit at his feet and hear from Jesus what righteousness really is. And now what we're trying to do as a church is we're trying to help understand that, that, that God wants wants a righteousness that is active. It's not, it's not a passive righteousness. It's not a personal righteousness. It's a public righteousness. God wants to see righteousness flow out of this church, flow out of your lives, flow out of your household. He wants it to see it, to flow right out. He's not blessing you so that you can enjoy it alone. He's blessing you so you can be a blessing. He's made you righteous so you can go find wrongs and right them whether you're the one that did the wrong or not. 
And just so you know, you're a part of the single most dominant force for good the world has ever seen. The church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ, the family of God that you and I are invited into and we're, we're here because we're a part of, it has been the single most dominant force for righteousness, justice, and goodness in the world, in every age, in every place, in every language. There's no question about it. It has also done horrible evil and covered it with the name of Jesus. And God will deal with that. But it's our turn to step up in our day, in our age, and see how we can push this forward and make sure this dominance, this goodness, continues to flow out of the churches of our lives into this world. And that's what we're being called to do. That's what we're learning about. And we're going to unpack this a lot more in the next eight weeks. So if you, you're like, okay, I don't know what he just said. That's okay. Just check with us. We'll, we'll get there. Um, so anyways, this is, this, is, this is the vision of the righteousness of God from Isaiah. Um, he loves justice. He's so into it. It's his thing. It's, he cornered the market. He owns it. He wants people to do it. So yes, there is this good proactivity that's waking people up. But, but we got to make sure we're doing his version and not some secular humanistic version because that's just gonna lead to more agony and pain in the world. And so this picture um, that I wanna give to you, this downriver idea, as I was studying this, I kept thinking of this concept of the river because in Amos it actually says what God wants to see is, is justice flow like a river, like a never-ending river. And I've just had this picture and a little bit of our picture that we need to unpack as we, as we understand this is this downriver idea. You know, when, when people settled in different places in, in America, not in Phoenix because there's no rivers, but in other places, they always kind of settled near a river because the river brought so many things. It brought water. It brought fish. I love fishing. I love rivers. I love rivers. I love them. So fun jumping in that river, floating in the river, fishing in the river. It's so fun. Anyways, um, but, but what happened was people would settle by these rivers and they, and they would, you know, say, this river, this is so great. Look at this awesome blessing of this river. And, and so they would take the river and they would, you know, like do irrigation off the river. Or they would kind of make a little pool um, off the side so they could, they could swim, maybe a park off the river. And then they were like, cool, you know what else? We can like boat up and down this river. We can ship in cargo and goods in this river and all these things. And they were doing all this thing. They were so thankful and they were using the river. They loved it so much. But when they started to dilute the the flow of the river by, you know, taking it for themselves or whatever, and they started to pollute the river because of all the use they were doing, what, what they might not have realized is what was happening downriver. Because the, the river was not just for them. And so we have to be a figure, people that really figure out, you know, God's heart for what's going on downriver. And sometimes it's hard for us to see, but guess what? It's not hard for God to see. And as Americans, guess who's at the front of the river in our day and age? It's us. We got first crack at the river in a lot of ways. The resources, the blessing, the, the riches that this world has to offer. And are we being a people, a nation? I mean, I don't, I, if I could pull those levers, I, I would. I mean, I'd pray, trying to pull those levers, but at least as an organization, as a church, as a family, as a Stockton. I gotta figure out what, what am I doing that's affecting what's going on downriver because those, that's where the oppressed, the fatherless, the widow, they're downriver 
And they're crying out to God and he's hearing their prayers. And when he equates what's happening to them and what's happening up river, he calls it bloodshed. And so those are some of the visions that we need to take into account and unpack in our lives. Inactivity on the half of the, uh, the oppressed, fatherless, and widow. It's the same as bloodshed to God. Working on your own gain without working for the gain of the oppressed is evil to the Lord. When you hoard God's blessing to yourself instead of enjoying it and sharing it with others is doing wrong. And the downriver is an important idea. So to wrap this thing up, for today, obviously we're going to go further in this. We're going to teach in the book of James. He's very practical, very, um, very, very um, black and white. He's going to tell us exactly what righteousness is and what isn't. And it's, it's going to be a real picnic. <laughs> um, but so maybe justice and kinetic righteousness for you. Give you a few examples. I loved what Ryan shared last week. I've been chewing on it all week. It might be the, my biggest single takeaway in this whole series. But um, at the end of James chapter 3, he says, those who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. And I am so hungry to see a harvest of righteousness in our city, in our church, in my family, in some of the families where I know that they are experiencing such agony and all they wanna do is fight, but if people can sow peace, they're gonna get to see a harvest of righteousness in their family. Oh, it's gonna be beautiful. It's gonna be hard. So I love that. I want to be someone who sows peace, a peacemaker, because that's going to really bring a harvest of righteousness. And our world is full of people not trying to make peace, right? Trying to make division and demonize and all those things. So we can be people of peace. Maybe being a peacemaker is like the guy I talked to this week who's, uh, who's fighting for custody for his kid. And it's been a long, drawn-out, horrible fight. And he's trying to do it in a way that honors the person he's fighting against and honors the Lord, but at the same time stays in the fight at great cost. Maybe it's showing up for your neighbor, the ones who like you and don't like you. I've both. Maybe it's fostering or adopting a kid. One of the pictures in Isaiah, um, I, think it's, I think it's 60, 58 or 60. You can figure it out. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's God saying, I'm so tired of your fasting. You keep coming to me hungry, but he said, the fast that I long for is that you'll, you'll not eat, but you'll invite people into your homes to eat what you're not eating, the people that don't have any food. Like, that's the fast that I'm after. I'm looking at your table. I'm looking at your very table in your house, in your kitchen, wherever it might be, and I'm looking to see what kind of justice is happening right there. Are you only feeding yourself or is somehow your table being a part of feeding someone else who doesn't have food? God's very interested in your table. He's more interested in that maybe than what happens here in this place. <sighs> maybe it's volunteering for a justice ministry. Maybe it's um, being on the board of a justice ministry or giving financially to a justice ministry. We're gonna introduce you to a bunch of them on September 22nd, September 29th, October 6th. It's gonna be great. Maybe it's hanging in there in a difficult relationship, trying to be a person of agape, a person of just unconditional love, where you, where you understand that love is patient. Love, love isn't necessarily tolerant, but love is patient. And it's kind and it rejoices in the truth at the same time. This is tough. Maybe it's creating a relationship of exquisite mutuality or extraordinary kinship with someone very different than you. Maybe the, color of their skin, maybe socioeconomic, maybe age, whatever it is, but you're joining in to really kind of unite your life with them. That's a beautiful form of justice. 
Maybe it's mentoring or serving the next generation or brightening the day of a senior citizen. Maybe it's, it's providing relief. Maybe it's running a business that's really focused on what happens downriver from you. Maybe it's lawyering in a way that puts God's promises about integrity to the test, even though you know you think you're gonna lose because of the way the system is, but you continue to sow with integrity, trusting that God is bigger than the system. The beautiful thing about our God is he's not an orchard God. He didn't create the orchard of Eden. He created the garden of Eden. And what's so interesting is, is, is when, when God comes into your life and, and motivates you, inspires you to do justice, what will come out of you won't necessarily look like what comes out of me or will look like the person next to you. He's so much more creative than that. And so he's planting the, the seeds of hope and love and, and righteousness in our hearts so that they'll flow out of us in such a variety, such a diversity, such a creative way that the whole world will eventually look at it and be like, whoa, and they'll understand the manifold wisdom of God. They'll see your good works, whatever they might be, and they'll glorify their Father in heaven. That's the goal of all of this. And now I wish I could you know, do justice in much more like businessman way, businesswoman, whatever it is. Like, oh, we had this Phoenix business forum here and I'm sitting with all these people and they're all biz from business background. They're bit, and I was just like, dude, you guys have so much opportunity. It's so cool. The, the places that you are in, in this world, it's so fascinating what the Lord could do with you. But the Lord, may, he wants me to do justice churchy style. And churchy style is, is it's cheesy. I've been trying to like, get out of it my whole life. I wish I could do justice athletic style. Like some of those guys making all that money, having all those platforms, and some of them really do. It's awesome. Some of the good that they're doing. I wish I could do it musician style. I'd be a drummer. <laughs> drummers, when I meet drummers, they're just like, whoosh, top of my list. They're the coolest. God will never let me be a drummer because I'll be so prideful. But I wish I could do it all these other ways, but you gotta do justice in the way that God is compelling you, created you for. And when you do that, we get a little glimpse of the beauty of God. And so we're gonna figure that out. If we lean into this, we're, we're all gonna figure out a little bit more clearly what the justice work, what kinetic righteousness looks like in your life. And it's gonna be, it's gonna be fascinating. It's gonna be fascinating. And if you don't know Jesus, he knows you. And he's got a plan for your life. And if you invite him in, he will begin to make you into the righteousness of God, which is awesome in a lot of different ways. But he'll also begin to teach you the right things, the wrongs in this world that he's uniquely created you to make right. And you start a journey that, whew, it's exciting and challenging and there will be suffering but there will be rejoicing as well and I want to finish with this prayer if we'll bow our heads and, and just close our eyes if you're comfortable with that and just be listening for the Lord I'm going to read this this is a prayer that Paul the apostle prayed in, in, over the, the Philippian church and this is also like Ryan he talked about sowing peace leads to a harvest of righteousness and I found this verse which basically talks about us sowing in love. 
that produces a harvest of righteousness. But it's interesting the way he talks about love in this prayer. So Lord, I pray over each one of us right here, right now, online and in person, that your love may overflow more and more out of our lives. And it won't be the shallow, surfacey love, but it'll be love with full knowledge and full insight into what your love is and what people's needs are. And you'll help us determine what is best, what the best form of righteousness and justice that we can do out of love for others so that in the day of Christ, we may be found pure and blameless and we will have produced a harvest of righteousness that can only come through Jesus Christ and is for his glory and for your praise, Father. Let us be people of agape, sowing peace, sowing love everywhere we go. And let us get to see in the next year, in the next five years, in the next 10 years, in the next 30 years, on our dying bed, with our dying breath, I pray that we would be able to speak of the harvest of righteousness that you brought through our broken vessels. I pray it in Jesus' name.